Everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jordan Blair. Jordan does a podcast called Dreamful Bedtime Stories. It's consistently a top 1% podcast, and we talk about everything, how the show evolved from being just for children to being a much larger audience, how she monetized her podcast, how she finds music. But my favorite part was about where we talk about how she incorporates feedback from her audience into the show. Jordan's a really interesting podcaster. Some of you may notice that Jordan has been on this channel before. She is a podcast producer for Buzzsprout, but we almost talk about nothing involved with Buzzsprout at all. We really are focusing on her podcast, and I'm so excited to share the journey that she's gone on uh, with you today. So without much ado, let's jump into it with Jordan Blair. All right. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about your show and what inspired you to start it. Well, my podcast is Dreamful Bedtime Stories, which is exactly what it sounds like. And what inspired me to start it is that I could not find a good bedtime story podcast for my kids. A lot of bedtime story podcasts, you know, a few years ago, they were very um, short. So they'd be like seven minutes, 13 minutes long. And then it would be like, I really like bright and cheery voice. And tonight we're going to talk about this. And I was like, my kids are not going to go to sleep to this. This is crazy. It got to the point where I was like, I'm just going to have to do this myself. <laughs> so I did. So that's what, that's what inspired me to start it was I couldn't find exactly what I was looking for. Started out of necessity. Yeah, it did. How long did it take you to go from deciding I want to start my own podcast and then getting into actually launching the first episode? I kind of daydreamed about it for, I want to say a month and just kind of like was doodling and coming up with names and things like that and created my, my cover art and talked to some people about it who were just kind of like, Hmm, that's okay. Cool. I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, what's a podcast, <laughs> but I, I, so I was like trying to drum up some enthusiasm. So maybe I would go through with it. And then I, swear on my life, I spent about three months going through Buzzsprout's how to start a podcast, podcast, listening to Buzzcast, and then listening to podcast and Q&A and also all the YouTube videos. I spent three months doing that and also uh, PodCraft and, you know, Podcasters Roundtable, all those things. So That's awesome. Yeah. I spent three months obsessively learning about podcasting before I actually like did it. That's a pretty fast turnaround, actually, even though if you have three months between, hey, I think I want to start and launching. I mean, I know I mean, I've told the story so many times, but the first conference I ever went to was in December 2014. And I remember meeting someone and they were like, I'm about to launch. I've been working my podcast. I just wish I'd launched a couple of years earlier when there was like more opportunity. Then we were there the next year and I saw him and I was like, dude, how's the podcast gone? And he's like, I'm just about to launch. I recorded eight more episodes. I'm like re-editing them. And I was like, dang, I mean, but it's been a year. And then we saw again and I asked him how it was going. And he was in the same spot. I recently heard this quote. Sometimes perfection is procrastination, like disguising itself. And we're really just, we don't want to do something. We don't want to be out there and not be perfect. And yet, uh, we, so we kind of pretend like I'm, I'm a perfectionist. So I'm just going to like wait and keep dragging it out. And it can take a long time to really launch. That's exactly what happened to me. And 
Thank God for my husband. He knows me really well, and he knows that I will perfectionate. It's like a mixture of perfectionism and procrastinate. <laughs> perfectionate. I <laughs> yeah, like I'm it. Yeah, TM, TM. Um, he, he knows that I will do that forever. I will study something for eternity before I actually like jump in and, and put myself out there and try it. And he finally went and bought all the stuff that I had like wishlisted. <laughs> oh, good for him. Yeah. And he was like, here, you have no excuse, do it. And so I, um, I think it's really good to have people like that on your side that can kind of keep you from doing that. I mean, I probably would have been that person that studied for like a year and made sure that I was, you know, eight episodes in before I like, and then re-recording those eight episodes. <laughs> so I definitely found myself in that boat. So tell us, so now you've launched the episode, what were your initial I don't know. How did you see, like, what's your measure of success? You know, what are you expecting? And then what was actually the result from launching your podcast? I didn't really have a measure of success in mind. It was more just like... Maybe getting your children to fall asleep <laughs> at a reasonable time. <laughs> yeah, that's that was really my measure of success. I was like, I'm going to do this thing, have fun, and get my kids to fall asleep. And hopefully nobody listens to it, <laughs> I think was kind of my thought. I think I specifically for... I did this for years, told people, don't listen to it. Like whenever they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll listen to your but I'm like, no, don't listen to it. It's not for you. <laughs> don't listen to it. So that was that was kind of my measurement was like, I didn't want people to listen to it because I was really self-conscious about it. I just wanted it for my kids. And like maybe some strangers would find use in it and stuff like that. So I, I kind of put it out there, but not really. And then – um it was going pretty well for, I want to say like six months in, um, pretty well in my mind was like, oh my gosh, I have like 75 downloads this month. I have a hundred downloads this month. And I was pumped. I was just like, how are these people finding this? This is incredible. And it was, I was starting to get more countries. And I remember making a video like for my Patreon feed and just being like, oh my gosh, it's in like six countries now. And all these people are listening and I'm so excited. And then the funniest thing happened during 2020, right before like everything shut down, um, I decided that I wanted to like take a break. I was like, I don't want a pod fade. I've heard of pod fade and I spent so much time working on this podcast, like editing it. And I had, you know, other jobs I was doing. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take a break. And so I took a break from it. I think that month. I was doing really well. So I had like 6,000 downloads on my podcast. And then the next month, um, I got like 20,000 downloads. And then the next month I checked and it was like 75,000 downloads. And I was panicking. Like I actually had nightmares about <laughs> this because I didn't want it. And so um, I was looking everywhere. I was Googling my show and it wasn't in a list. It wasn't like charting on anything. And then like the next month it was like over a hundred thousand downloads. And yeah, it just, it was such a weird thing because I took a break and it just went bananas. Did you find out where everyone was coming from? How were people finding the show? No, I, I didn't find it. I was not in any um, lists. I did a bunch of Google searches. I looked for like featured lists on like say Spotify or something like that. Like I would go to like uh sleep podcast or meditation podcast. I would look at the charts. I wasn't in the charts. <laughs> like I could not figure out what was going on. It was, it was just the weirdest thing. And I, I don't know why, I don't know why it was growing so fast. My, my, 
thinking is that it could be word of mouth, which is really powerful. Like maybe, you know, there was like a daycare that started listening to it. And then the kids said that told their parents about it or something like that. Cause I know that did happen. Um, a daycare was doing my show for the kids. <laughs> so who knows? It could have been a bunch of things like that where it was just people telling, talking about it. That's awesome. You've said before that the audience, you know, you initially recorded it thinking this is all going to be children, but then the audience kind of shifted. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I made it for my kids. And so in my mind, I was thinking like, yeah, this will be for like six to 11 year olds, like my, my kids age. So I made it with that in mind. And it was very like my earlier episodes are definitely very much like me speaking to like children. And then over the like span of two years, I just kept getting these like emails and like messages from people who were, you know, it was, it was guys who are in college and they're like, I know it's like kind of weird for a guy, but like, I listen to you every night. And then I would get like, (laughs) you know, a seven-year-old woman that would message me and be like, oh, this has like been so amazing for me. I struggle sleeping. And then I, you know, I'd get like grandparents writing in and, um, mothers in their thirties and, you know, kids. And it just, it made me realize like, that everybody was listening to it because, you know, you hear in all these things, you hear in all these like podcast advice blogs or videos or things like that. People always say like, you got to niche down, niche down, niche down. So in my mind, I was thinking that meant audience. And so I kind of like pegged myself into a corner with thinking that was just for kids. And so I was talking to children. And then over the years, after I realized like, oh no, everyone's listening to this, I started speaking more just generally to how I would speak to like a a group of people, like a a room of all ages. And then um, as I was doing like listener polls and just getting information, like listener surveys and things like that, they started asking for more like mature content, like, you know, Jane Austen and they wanted like Oscar Wilde and uh, Sherlock Holmes. And it was things that just wasn't geared towards children. And and I stopped kind of getting messages from kids for the most part. And then I realized like, oh, my podcast isn't for children anymore. It's, it's just kind of like evolved into something completely different. And I made a huge decision in taking it out of kids and family. And I just moved it over into uh, mental health. And my podcast actually did better in the mental health space than it did in the kids and family space, which was a big surprise to me, but I think it was smart for me to just like allow my podcast to breathe and do its thing. (laughs) It made a huge difference. So if you could go back, would you start by making it a bit more focused to all age groups or would you kind of go down the same path where you started initially thinking this is for uh, six to 11 year olds because those are the ages of my daughters and then let it evolve? Which path would you do? You know, I think the evolving path is a little bit more fun. <laughs> it was uh, because it was so surprising and unexpected. I think that that's more fun. And, you know, maybe I wouldn't have done so well if I had started out in, you know, the mental health space, like the the adult health space is like very, very crowded. And at the time, like children's fiction really wasn't. Um, so who knows? I might not have done as well if I'd started out there, but you know, it was my intention with the podcast to make it for my kids. And that's just kind of where it started. And I think it's okay that it grew up a little bit into something else. Do your kids still listen to it? Yeah, every night. There's been a f- couple meltdowns when the tablet's not working. 
(laughs) 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 Or, you know, my daughter will wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and I had turned it off for some reason and she like comes in and I have to get up and put it back on because she loves listening to it all night. So they still listen to it. I didn't think about that. I've probably haven't thought about this in 20 years, but there was a summer where I was probably six and my dad had just graduated from law school. So he's studying for the bar and maybe there was like a month or two where we were living in Florida and he was still back at Texas. And so it was the only period as a child that I was away from my dad for a significant period of time. And he was recording books on cassette tapes and then mailing them to us. And so we would do the same thing and listen to our dad read to us. That's so incredible. I mean, yeah, that's like, that's exactly what that is. That's all it is. <laughs> His, uh, he was probably violating some copyright by doing that. So. Well, he wasn't like disturbing it, so it's okay. Yeah, that's true. In all of yours, you're doing retellings of these stories that are in the public domain, right? Uh, some of them. Some of them I do leave. You know, it kind of depends on content and how long it takes to get through that that piece of literature. Um, there are some stories that are broken up into like shorter stories or something like that. And so I can do like a 40 minute or hour long episode on that one thing. And, you know, <laughs> some of the public domain like fairy tales uh, have really... Um, raunchy language sometimes and uh or are really like grim and violent so there's a lot of um editing that i do with some of these stories to make them more appropriate for this day and age but yeah i do some adaptations sometimes but i i try to stick to the um the original stuff just because it's easier on my end (laughs) the Grimm's fairy tales like if you go read some of those they're like wildly inappropriate for children. I mean, they're just intense. And you're like, wait a second, is this really what we were telling kids back in the dark ages? Or is this, or was it maybe written for someone else? Cause yeah, I can understand that. You can't just read that out as uh, Hey, this might be appropriate for children. Yeah, no, there's, <laughs> there's, there's definitely some editing. And so even though um, my podcast is for all ages and I took it out of the kids and family, I still have some younger listeners. So I'm very, um, thoughtful and considerate of those younger listeners. So I still, I still edit things. So, you know, maybe (laughs) I read this one story. (laughs) I read this one story about like a mermaid that gets caught by uh, humans. And in the very end of the story, what they do is, um, they stuff her and put beads in her eyes and hang her up in a museum. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I changed the ending of the story completely. (laughs) Because it's a really cute story, but then like just that ending. So, um, yeah, I still do things like that because it's some of these are brutal. <laughs> Did you have a background in writing or in storytelling before you started bringing this into podcasting? Because it sounds like it was a pretty quick transition from having an idea to having a podcast that started blowing up. Yeah, I think I kind of had like the perfect concoction of experience to do this. Um, I was you know, always in theater. I was really big in uh, theater forever. And um, I also have a background in art. I've done like a lot of murals and like graphic design and stuff like that. And then um, I also just was very good at like uh, writing for the most part. And then I also was a children's librarian for like three years. So it was just this like perfect like cocktail of doing a children's bedtime story podcast. And I think it worked out really, really well for me to have those experiences of like reading to kids, uh, reading publicly, doing artwork. So it's really easy for me to make like 
art and stuff and then um, for promotional materials and then the editing and writing and then also the speaking with the theater background. So, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the perfect combination for all of it, all it of it kind of coming together into one podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you started realizing the show had shifted when people started reaching out to you. How have you incorporated your fans and your audience into your podcast? Yeah. And that's a really hard thing for me to do. I've always wanted to incorporate my fans somehow into my podcast because I know that with podcasts that I listen to, when um, they allow fans to kind of be involved, you get like this sense of like ownership with the podcast and you, you really want to succeed and you get excited when you get like mentioned in the podcast by the host that you love so much. And so I kind of wanted that for my listeners as well. Um, so I've done a couple things. Um, I didn't do it this year cause I was really busy, but, um, every year in April, April is poetry month and which I knew thanks to my librarian background, <laughs> But um, every year I would do listener poetry submissions and I would have my listeners submit poetry and then I would do a poetry reading episode of just their poetry. And that was so popular and it got it. Uh, I had so many submissions for that. and It was amazing. Um, it's amazing how great it is to tap into the talent of your listeners <laughs> And then um, I also love doing um, shout outs whenever they support the show. You know, if anyone does like a monetary donation or um, pledges monthly, I will do a shout out on the show. And that has gotten really big because they'll do that for like birthdays or anniversaries sometimes, which is really fun. And I also allow listeners to vote in polls for some of my bigger episodes that I'll do, you know, like Aladdin or Cinderella or things like that. You know, those big ones that everyone's like, yes, finally, um, I'll allow them to vote on which one they want to come out. Oh, that's cool. How do you, so you, you said you had the Patreon, but is there another way that you communicate with your audience? Because one of the downsides for a lot of podcasters is it can kind of feel lonely. You are speaking into a microphone. You do all this editing, you put it out. And sometimes the only thing you get back is a number that says 55 downloads and that's it. And you may not even get a review for a few months. So how did you take those downloads and turn those into real conversations? This is really about being available to your audience. So I make sure that on my website, I have my podcast email listed. I have a PO box if they want to send me mail. I have the PO box listed and I receive a pack, a goodie package from listeners sometimes or um, a letter like twice a year, <laughs> maybe, but it's worth it. It's worth having that there so they can do that if they want to. Um, I also have uh, an Instagram account and a Facebook account that they can send me messages on. I just make sure that I have that information everywhere that I'm at and put it in my episode footer. Like, you know, if you want to get a hold of me or just say hi, like I make sure that it's very approachable and people do take advantage of that a lot. For people who don't know, what's your episode footer? My episode footer is um, in the episode description or the show notes down at the bottom. I will put in the episode footer, you know, the credits, you know, this podcast is hosted by, edited by, music by. And then I will also put, you know, contact us on social media and I'll put all my links that, uh, in everything that I will put in every single episode description so that no matter what episode someone's listening to, if they go, huh, I like this show, I want to like learn more about it. They can scroll down in the episode description or show notes and see that information regardless of what 
episode they're on. I, I love that you're doing a lot to make yourself accessible for your fans. So it's easy for them to reach out. I think it's easy. I mean, I do this myself where you kind of say, I want to communicate with fans, but I want it through a very rigid format. It only can be through like comments on a tweet that I posted, but a lot of people won't use Twitter or if it's only Instagram, but somebody's not, they don't enjoy Instagram. They're not going to reach out. And it sounds like you've kind of created multiple avenues for people to reach out so that you can get, I don't know, maybe that allows you to get more of your audience. Uh, it's not just going to be kids, but you're also going to have people who are a little bit older, people who are in between. Uh, everybody can reach out in the way that they're probably most comfortable. Yeah. And I, I don't have my podcast everywhere. Like I'm barely on Twitter. <laughs> I just joined like last year and I'm really bad at it. I don't have it for my podcast. Um, just because that's not really like a platform that I'm comfortable with. So even though I might have listeners that do use Twitter and they might be kind of bummed that I'm not on there, like too bad. <laughs> I don't use it. So <laughs> they have plenty of other ways that are easier for me for them to contact me. So I think also like setting up all those different modes of contact where um, a little bit of like wishful thinking that someone's going to reach out, you know, because it is like just speaking into a void and you're just like, man, I wish someone would tell me that they like this or that it's like made an impact in their life. So I think I'm just like hoping, like willing it to happen that someone's going to reach out to me and I, and you can do it all these different ways. <laughs> so, Can you give us some stories of people who've reached out that have really impacted the show? I mean, have you had suggestions from listeners that you've used or I don't know, things just really affirming conversations with listeners? Yeah, I've had several. It As far as like impacting the show, I have had some people reach out and they're just like, I'm a writer and I wrote this story for the podcast. And, you know, if you want to read it, you can. And then it winds up being amazing and I love it. And it turns into a great story. Or I'll have, um, I had a kid that in his class, he read this like obscure fairy tale that I'd never heard of before. And he wrote in and said, like, there's this really cool fairy tale that I read. And I'd love for you to do it. He's like fifth grader or something like that. And I read that and it's one of my more popular episodes. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was a fantastic story. So I love having like, I really take into consideration what listeners ask for or say like, this made me think of you. Um, I make sure that I definitely consider it at the very least. I usually end up using it. But as far as impacting like, me and my will to continue doing the podcast. I've had so many people write in who, you know, are victims of like trauma and abuse or um, just have a lot of like depression and anxiety. You know, I talk about that a lot on my podcast because I have experiences with depression and anxiety. And so I'm very upfront about that. And the amount of people that write in and feel so seen and want to share their experiences with it too and share how my show has like helped them overcome it. That is the most incredible thing. Um, you know, hearing stories of people who are stuck in places that they can't get out of. And then when they finally do, they will write me an email and say like how every night they just felt safe because they were listening to it. Things like that, I mean, destroy me. <laughs> it makes me cry so much when I get things like that, but it it's also just shows how impactful it is to do something as simple as a storytelling podcast, you know? 
I mean, I'm not even, I'm barely talking about myself in it. We're talking like 30 seconds. I'll talk about myself, um, in the show. And it's just usually like casual mentionings, or maybe they just listened over such a period of time that they feel like they've gotten enough stories to like piece together what my experience has been. You know, it's, it's things like that, that make me just never want to stop. Yeah. That's so powerful. When you start to realize, you know, these numbers are not just numbers, but they're people and the people you're impacting, like those are real changes in their life. And for some podcasters, it can be truly profound. Like what you're sharing. Um, I met last year at podcast movement, a podcaster who he'd been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and started a whole podcast about living with Parkinson's. And then was just telling me story after story of people who, when they get their diagnosis, the first thing they did was they started his podcast and instantly felt so much more comfortable because they went, okay, this guy is four years further down from the diagnosis than I am. And now I can start listening and start understanding what's happening and feel like I'm joining into a community rather than being totally alone. Uh, but then there's other podcasters. The only thing that they're getting back is, man, you and your friends are funny. And I love listening to you play Dungeons and Dragons on a podcast. Like it, there's value in all sorts of different ways of communicating and sharing your story uh, with your audience. So if you were to give maybe a couple pointers for somebody who they've got a few hundred downloads, so they know there's some people listening and they really want some of that engagement, what would you tell them to do? Maybe a couple things they could try. A couple things they could try. Um, they could get their audience involved in future episodes, you know, by, you know, maybe like setting up like a, a pod inbox or like an email that they can submit uh, episode ideas or topics they want to hear in future episodes, or maybe guests that they'd like to see on that, you know, getting people more involved kind of like opens up that communication and um, you can get like, you can find ways to like contact them through that. Um, another way, and this is a way that I personally love and I've used with my podcast so many times is set up a listener survey and I just use Google forms cause it's free <laughs> and it's easy. And so I'll create like a Google form and I'll just ask my listeners about themselves and I'll ask them like, how many ad reads are you okay with for an episode? What stories would you like to hear more of? What kind of like things do you really enjoy? What can I improve upon in my show? And then I will always put the bottom, like, do you have anything else you want to tell me? And that is the best because you get people being like, oh, I just love you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. And I'm just like, yes. So you get all these like uh, survey submissions and you can entice people to complete a survey. I know it sounds really boring, but if you just tell them like, it'll take two minutes, it'll really help the show out. And you can like kind of put your own input on what the show's going to be. Something that I've done in the past too, is I've offered up a $20 like Amazon gift card because you can just email them to the listener. So I, I will say like, if you submit the, if you complete the survey, then you'll be in the running for a $20 Amazon gift card. And that tends to get a lot of responses too. <laughs> nice. You you mentioned Pod Inbox. What's Pod Inbox? So Pod Inbox is podinbox.com and it is a really great uh, platform by Pat Chung. And he has created a way for podcasters to receive like voice messages from listeners. He set it up so they can um, give tips. Like whenever they send a message, you can do things like that. Um, you can also set up like a chat 
And he keeps adding these things and it makes it really gamified. So I there's like starting to be like a like scoreboard kind of thing. Like he's added so many different things and it's really cool because there is a free tier on Pod Inbox. So you can have a podcast on their on their free page, but the amount of stuff that they have on their page is like really cool too. But that's definitely one that I recommend to people because those voice messages are really easy for people to leave and you can respond to them. You can, you can type in responses or use them on your podcast. And that's a lot of fun too. That's awesome. I love those ideas. Well, uh, if you're out there and you're hoping to get some feedback from your audience, hopefully those tips are going to be useful for you. Um, Jordan, earlier you mentioned in your credits, you were saying you put your name for writing, but then you also mentioned editing and then music. Are you doing the editing and music for your show? Is that somebody else? Um, I used to do, my husband actually um, wrote the theme song and I recorded it. And so he he's always on the credit for the theme song, bye. And then um, I was doing my own editing for a long time. And then uh, my best friend actually moved back here and she was out of the country and I needed like time to myself. So I trained her on how to edit and she's doing like even better than I did. And so I have her hired as a freelance editor for my podcast too. So she's on the team now. Um, but yeah, I used to edit my own podcast, but I was very slow at it. So like every episode would take me like, I want to say 15 to 21 hours to do an episode. If you include like the research, recording and editing, it took forever. And so she gets it knocked out in like five hours. (laughs) It helps when people are focused on one piece of it. I think it's a bit easier rather than the research, the writing, the recording, the editing, the promotion, when you're doing each piece of it, it can just feel like, man, I put a ton of effort into this episode. Uh, it can be kind of nice to have it split up, especially if you do have other people who you either can pay or somebody else who's like a co-host that can shoulder half the load. Yeah. And I'm like the queen of uh, bootstrapping. I will do everything myself. I will do it the cheapest way possible. And it's going to take me forever, but I am not going to lose any money on this. And um I think after about a year of that, I started really valuing outsourcing. (laughs) There just like comes a point where you're just like, okay, like I've bootstrapped this long enough. Now I have people supporting the podcast and I can like start using those funds for things like um, hiring an editor or paying for stock images instead of like trying to do my own thing. I used to like whenever I'd get like sponsorships, I used to just pitch it myself and do all that stuff myself. And I actually have like moved on to having like an agency. So I outsource that as well. I just, I mean, my podcast takes me like maybe two hours a week now. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> uh, don't, don't tell everybody that we're all going to be jealous. <laughs> you're, you're being able to outsource so much of it. It took a lot of work though, <laughs> but yeah. So before we start talking about monetization, um, cause you started just touching on that a little bit. Can we go back? Just a second to music. You also do a lot of sound beds as well. So besides the theme music, does your husband also make all of your sound bed music? No, I um I use music from a lot of different places. Yeah, he did the theme song. And it was funny because he just was like plucking it on a guitar on the porch. And I said, all right, you need to get in there now. I'm going to set the microphone and do that. So that was like the first time he's ever like done anything that I would actually use on my podcast. <laughs> and like <laughs> lightning struck that day. But um, 
you know, the other times I will sometimes work with like indie artists, you know, um, I have a lot of friends that are really great artists and musicians. And so I will sometimes hit them up and I'll be like, Hey, I'm doing a Pecos bill episode. You're really good at like country music. Can you make me like an ambient country song? And they're always like down for it. Artists love putting their stuff out there and they love helping friends out. So, um, I, I do have a lot of things like that, a lot of like collaborations, and I'll talk about them. I'll talk, I'll direct to their Bandcamp account or their Instagram account, things like that. I'll promote like whatever band they're in or whatever projects they're doing. And then um, I also will use a lot of Creative Commons music. Um, there's a site I really love called freemusicarchive.org, and it has so much creative commons music and what creative commons is is like it's free for anyone to use and you can also um usually alter it however you want just as long as you like credit whoever the artist is and that was a really great way i told you i'm good at bootstrapping so that was a really good way for me to get like very quality um free music to use in the podcast and then um once the podcast started like actually making money and stuff like that. I also, I have an artlist.io account and I have an epidemic sound account and I will also um, <laughs> pay for some things. I use a lot of music in my show. So um, yeah, I, I definitely have gone away from the searching through like music archives and creative commons things and, you know, Pixabay and all those things and just gone straight to the really high quality music instead of having to listen to a million things and like find something good. <laughs> those are awesome resources. We will link to all of those down in the description for anybody who is looking for good music for their podcast. So now to monetization, how long did it take from launching your podcast before it started making some money? Because all these things about hiring an agency and hiring your best friend to edit and all those things are really only possible once the podcast has hit a certain size and you started monetizing. There's there's a hill that I will often just die on, and that is that you should set up listener support out of the gate. And I know that a lot of people have really good reasons to not do that, but to me personally, it's just like, why would you not give anybody who stumbles upon your podcast an opportunity to support the show. And so I had actually started my Patreon page, I think it was a month before I even like launched Dreamful. And then I posted about it saying like, this is coming soon. And it was so cool because like my friends and my mom became supporters before I even like launched the thing. <laughs> and I was so pumped because I had like almost 10 subscribers supporters on my Patreon before I even like started the show. They didn't know what it was, but they were like, oh, Jordan's doing something. <laughs> so we're going to support her. And it was really wonderful because I was able to kind of cover the costs of starting my podcast pretty quickly because my friends and family hopped on and were just like, we're going to support you. And then um, pretty soon, like pretty quickly, because episode one, I talk about like that you can support the show this way. You can donate via PayPal. You can do this. And I had it as a call to action in my my episode intro, like the first episode I ever did. And I started getting donations 
like within a couple months from strangers. Wow. And it was very quickly that I was able to start like making money from it, like cover the cost of the podcast and save up some money for, you know, equipment upgrades or something like that. By the time you started making money, can you give us an idea of where you are as far as uh, download numbers? Well, there was zero because of friends and family at first. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but if we if we exclude that, um, I honestly want to say I was like 75 or 100 downloads. Wow. For like the entire month <laughs> before I was uh, making money. So, I mean, yeah, it, my, my audience is like, was like small but mighty. You know, they were just like, yeah, we want you to succeed. This is great. So I definitely got lucky with that. Yeah, it's the value of good friends and family, supportive husband, everybody who's your husband's buying you the equipment. He's like, you've got to do this now. And you've got friends making music and you've got other friends donating or supporting even before it comes out. Yeah, but imagine if I hadn't put my Patreon out there before, like, that was kind of a silly thing to do is start my Patreon before I even like started my podcast. But if I hadn't put that out, I mean, it would have been like money out of my pocket to start the podcast. So I, I definitely don't regret that. One way I tried to reframe asking for donations is that it's not asking for a donation. It's giving people an opportunity to support what you're doing. When you say, do you want to donate? Then people are kind of looking at it as like a charity and they're like, okay, am I willing to donate a little bit of money? But the other side of that can be, Hey, I want to do this project and this project costs money and there's no obligation on your side, but if you would like to support it, you can. And I find myself now, especially when there's a podcast that I'm really enjoying, why would I not want to support it? A couple dollars a month, whatever is appropriate for you at the amount of money that you make, you can go alongside your favorite creator and vote with your dollars. This is the stuff I want. I can, you know, spend a ton of money or spend a ton of time over on TikTok or I'm reading BuzzFeed articles, but I don't think that's what I really enjoy. What I really love is these blog posts or this podcast will donate and go alongside of the creators that you really enjoy and start influencing things, you know, with a little bit of financial uh, backing. Well, and I think like a lot of people do feel really awkward asking for money. It's weird. <laughs> it feels weird to be like, you can. It is weird. <laughs> yeah. And like donate to the show or support the show or, or pledge a monthly amount to the show. It, it feels weird. But if you can get past that. There's, there's different things that you can do. You know, um, one of the things that feels a little less like charity like is if you are upfront with your listeners about what the expenses of the podcast are. Like you can tell them, um, I've done this before where I say, Hey, your listener support goes towards paying my, uh, paying editor Katie. It goes towards music licensing and like paying for all these other things so that we can continue doing this podcast and, you know, any amounts appreciated. And it's such a great feeling. It's, it's so weird when you ask for it, but when you get that money, like that email from PayPal that someone sent you some money, that awkward feeling goes away pretty quickly. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> this is great. And so you're just like, yeah, support the show here. And then you get another one. And you're like, Oh, this is fantastic. Like they want to see you succeed. Your listeners want you to succeed and they want to help the show. That's wonderful. What other ways have you been able to monetize your podcast? So you've done listener support, which would be something like Patreon or Buzzsprout subscriptions. What other avenues have you started beyond that? Yeah. Listener support's a huge one. 
And then um, I also have done sponsorships and sponsorships is a really great way to make money. I've, I've done the pitching to sponsors myself, you know, just like I would listen to other podcasts in my niche and see what companies are sponsoring their show. Because first off, like clearly that company is interested in podcast advertising. And they're also interested in shows in your niche or topic. So um, that's a really good way. And then you can find how to contact them or, you know, get your pitch email sent to their marketing company. I would use Podcorn for that. And then I also, when I got like really busy, I went to having an, an agency, you know, such as like Advertise Cast or, you know, one of those things that would actually pitch my podcast as a group with other podcasts and then get me those sponsorships. And they do take like 30% cut of it. But I'll tell you what, to not be like spending four hours on my Saturday sending a bunch of cold emails is fantastic. <laughs> so, All right. can we, Let's do some uh, rapid fire questions. Are you game for a few? Yeah, I just drink my coffee. Let's go. All right. What's a podcast that got you into podcasting? Potterless podcast. What is Potterless? Potterless is um is by Mike Schuber and it's so funny. And it's a guy who in his 20s he had never read the Harry Potter series before and it's originally it originally was created to kind of like roast the series, which is really funny to like roast a children's novel but whatever. Um, but he would read it like chapter by chapter and have a guest on that was like a really big fan. It was so funny because throughout the series, it evolves into him becoming really passionate about the series. And then like pretty soon he had people like from the movies guesting on his podcast to go over a chapter or to go over like the movies. <laughs> and he had people that were like um, just really involved in like the conventions and all this stuff on the show. And... It was just so funny because he went from like knowing nothing about it and he was like, oh, I'm going to do a potty comedy podcast about this like kid's book because my wife wants me to do it into him being like an expert and like a guest at these huge conventions and stuff like that because he's so famous now. <laughs> it's really <laughs> That's fun. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. What's a podcast tool you couldn't live without? Oh, that's so hard. I don't know what one I couldn't live without. And I know that's probably being really dramatic because I'm sure I can live without all of them. But it's going to sound weird, but I'm going to say my MacBook. Your MacBook? My MacBook. Um, I had a, I had a, an Asus laptop. I spent like 900 bucks on it when I first started. And I was like, oh, like, you know, 900 bucks is like expensive for an Asus laptop, right? And I was like, oh, this is like perfect. It'll, it'll work great for, you know, running my Photoshop and my um, like Audacity software and all that stuff. And that stupid thing crashed so much. And then like the hard drive fried after like a year. It was actually right after the year warranty gave up. And it was toast, like completely toast. And then I got um, a MacBook Pro. And it was like life changing. And I was like, why did I not do this before? <laughs> so I'm, I'm obsessed with my MacBook. <laughs> What's the most memorable episode of your podcast to you? And what made it memorable? The most memorable, memorable episode to me is going to be Cosmic Lullaby. And it's because it was um, a collaboration that I did. There's a sound engineer for Microsoft um, in Seattle. 
and he's incredible. And he, and then um, he also just does tons of things. Everything, all the sounds you hear for like Xbox stuff like that, he did them all. And um, I I know him, and uh, we did a collaboration on a story for his kids. So it was really cool because it was like mutually beneficial because um, he and I wrote a story for his children as a surprise for his wife. And then he like sound designed the entire episode Whoa. and it was really early on in my podcast uh, life. And I was so nervous working with him because he was like a really big deal and it was um, super exciting. It was great because he surprised his wife and kids with this story written about them. So it uses his kids' names in it. And it's like just such a beautiful episode. I mean, the sound design is just like ridiculous. It's gorgeous. So um, I think that's most memorable for me. What's a podcast, full podcast that you've never made but would like to? A podcast I've never made? Are you talking about like episode or like you're talking about the whole shebang? Like an, ent- an entirely new podcast. What's an entirely new podcast you've never made, but if you had the time, you'd love to do it? Um, I would love to do a podcast on um, like cryptids. Cryptids? Cryptids. So they're kind of like... Is this like a Bitcoin thing? <laughs> <laughs> the crypto cabbage. No, um, it's it's basically like monsters or creatures from like folklore. I'm super into mythology and folklore. You know this. I, I love mythology and folklore. And along with that comes, you know, urban legends or stories like that. Like I love like Mothman yeah, or Mothman, the Sasquatch or Yeti. Those are like Howler. Um, yeah, all those different things. I would just love to have a really beautifully produced podcast about those because usually those uh like paranormal or like cryptozoology podcasts it's usually like people just sitting around and talking about it which is really fun but i would also like to have a version of it that is more highly produced like some of those like true crime documentaries so it's like almost like documentary style and like talking to people who have like seen the thing (laughs) you know like i would love to do something like that because it would be so much fun i think this needs to be called like morning time wake up stories (laughs) it's like the opposite these are too frightening or weird to fall asleep to but maybe you can make them like so intense this is like drop the cup of coffee and replace it with this podcast (laughs) yeah it definitely would not be in the in the dreamful uh universe it would be completely separate (laughs) all right and then last question if someone's starting out a podcast today what's one piece of advice you would have liked to have received yourself before you started this is um one that still kind of like hurts my heart a little bit when i first started my podcast i launched with the first episode that i created and what i wish i had done was created a content bank prior to launching Because you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, especially if you're able to record things like well ahead of time, you know, if you're, if you're doing like a news uh, podcast or something like that, that's really hard to do. Right. But if you're doing content that's evergreen, such as like uh, fiction or um, just advice or having guests on, you know, counseling, whatever it is, having at least three episodes in your pocket before you launch or having three episodes in your pocket before you like move on to other things is so helpful because you just never know when you're going to get sick. You know, I got uh, COVID and I wasn't able to record and it really threw a wrench in my plans. Uh, my kids being on uh, summer break, 
it makes things so hard. And I'm kind of like, I'm really married to my recording schedule. And I wish that sometimes I could just take a week off. You know what I mean? I, I, I totally understand. That makes complete sense. Well, Jordan, thank you so much uh, for spending this time with us and sharing your podcasting journey. If people want to listen to the podcast, we will put links to Dreamful Bedtime Stories. They can check it out. Besides that, what's the best way for people to reach out to you and connect with you? Well, I'm finally on Twitter, uh, or X, I guess it's called, <laughs> at Jordan Pods. Um, I'm not very active on there, but if you send me a DM, I might see it. And um, you can also catch me on Buzzcast, uh, <laughs> which is the podcast we do together, me and Alvin. And you can also find me on Instagram at Dreamful Podcast, or my website is DreamfulStories.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. We really, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> 